morning, folks. Um, this little um, thing, uh, little message came out of uh, Kirk's message a couple of, or a month or more back. And when he was talking, I just, all of this stuff just became clear. So I wrote some of it down and, and then it's since then, it's just waiting on the Lord. Is that just for me or is that something? No, no, I think, I think the, there's something in that that the Lord has for all of us. So that's where this has come about. And it's a response. It's a response to what I see happening around us these days. These, these days, not just here in Queensland, but right across the country and all around the world. I want to get in on that. That's all right. That's all right. I smell that new baby smell. Now I'm distracted on some of that. Anyway, anyway, yeah, out of, out of this response that, that where the world is gripped by fear, unbelievable, very believable, but the shaking that's going on around the coronavirus and what the effects that that has had, I don't need to tell you anything about it. You're living in it along with me, but what is going on all around us and even in our own lives, the fear that is gripping people. And when things get shaken for anybody, you really see what's going on for people when there is testing. And what we're seeing around the world, you know that, don't you? Is that you don't learn much about yourself and the world when times are good, but it's when people are under stress. It's when individuals are under stress or when a workplace or a business is under stress, or a whole nation is under stress. Stress and threat peel back the reality and you get to see what's truly inside. That's where threat and stress can be good for us. We, we, we get to learn about ourselves. We get to discover what's really there. Two things, alcohol and stress. They bring out what's really hidden down inside. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Well, at the moment, the whole world is under stress and, and we're seeing the cracks, the, what's really there. And we are gripped as a, as a species. We are gripped by fear. And this is a bit of a response to that. Um, whose are you? So, uh, oh, it's, it's years ago now. There was a series made by HBO. It was, it was designed around the story of, in the Second World War around a US, uh, a company of soldiers in the US Army called Easy Company. And they were part of the, the paratrooper division, the 506. And the reason that this series called The Band of Brothers, you should look it up. Apparently it's on Netflix now, I haven't seen it, but I got the DVDs at home packed away somewhere. But um, The Band of Brothers, it's about Easy Company and what was amazing about Easy Company is they, they just seemed to find themselves in the thick of every major battle um, of the Second World War, particularly after D-Day. And so they focus on that. So this is the story, the Band of Brothers is a story of Easy Company. And um, I think it's about the third episode, it focuses on a particular battle in, called the Battle of Carantan. Carantan was a, <clears throat> was a town that they were wanting to protect and keep the, you know, they drove the Germans back and they wanted to protect that. Anyway, this, this one here is the story, is Albert Blythe. Now, Blythe was a private in the army and, and they were paratroopers, right? So these are highly trained troops 
And their job as paratroopers is to, to, be, to jump out of aeroplanes and land behind enemy lines and to be able to fight the battle, effectively surrounded, but to, to weaken the enemy army so that the, the wider army can come through, the allies can come through. And that's what we had in D-Day. You know, you know what happened at D-Day, all those ships heading across the channel, but the planes were full of paratroopers, right? These are the story of the paratroopers, and Blythe was one of those paratroopers. Anyway, there's a part in, in, the, in this episode where Albert Blythe is speaking to his, or it's not even his lieutenant, so much got mixed up on D-Day, different people had trouble finding the rest of their unit, and Blythe speaking to one of the lieutenants says, um, just lieutenant... When I landed on D-Day, I, I found myself, I landed in a ditch and I was all alone. He says, and I fell asleep. I think it probably had to do with the air sick tablets that they gave us, but I just dropped off to sleep. Major battle, major press, and there's Private Blythe asleep in a ditch, completely unaware of what's going on around him. But then he woke up and what did he do? He just stayed there in the ditch, didn't bother. And he says to the lieutenant, he's, this is his confession, he says, when I woke up, I didn't even try to find my unit to go and fight. I just stayed in the ditch. Not unreasonable. That ditch, it's safe. No one knows he's there, not even his own. He's afraid. So he just hides and he just waits there while the rest of the army, the rest of his unit, go and put their lives on the line in the war. Private Blythe is safe in his ditch. Now, this is not unreasonable, you might think. And in fact, the people of God, there's a history of hiding in ditches for the people of God. If we look at 1 Samuel chapter, I think it's 13, um, there's a story of when the Philistine army is, is occupying God's, the, the land of God's people and they vastly out, outnumber God's people. They, the, the Hebrews, God's people, don't even really have any weapons because the Philistines have taken all their swords off them. They've taken off all their blacksmiths. So they don't even have people who can make weapons. So they're just normal, average, everyday folk. And they're confronted with this army and so they are hiding. They're hiding wherever they can find, in ditches. The, the story says they hide in caves, in ditches, in cisterns where they, you know, basically water tanks. They were hiding because they were so afraid. It's an amazing story because what happened, one of those people, one of the only two people in the army that did have a sword, the king's son, Jonathan, is like, this is crazy. So he speaks to his armour bearer and he says, let's go up and pick a fight with these Philistines. We'll tell them one thing and if they respond a certain way, that's how we know that God is with us. And if God's with us, hey, well, we'll, we'll just see what happens. He's the prince. If anyone's got the most to lose out of this, it's this guy, Jonathan, maybe his dad, the king. He's the prince and he says, oh, let's go pick a fight. Story plays out and they win. 
they, they defeat a, in a small paddock, they defeat a whole bunch of them and that freaks the Philistines out. More particularly, God causes a stir amongst the Philistines and the people of God come out of their little hiding places and they go and they win because one person decided to get out of their ditch. Private Blythe is in his ditch. Or he's not at this point. Actually, he is right there. He's standing in a foxhole, which is a, which is a safe point. Anyway, the lieutenant that he's speaking to says, do you know why you hid in that ditch? And he says, I was scared. And the lieutenant says, we're all scared. But do you know why you hid in that ditch? He effectively says, you've misplaced your hope. Your hope is in the wrong spot. In fact, he says, you've held on to hope. The only hope you have is to accept the fact that actually you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. I love that series. This is my favourite moment in the whole series. Because it frames up the whole purpose. And if you know Lieutenant Spears, the guy who's saying that, there's a few stories in that, few episodes around him and you just see him, he just, he just goes. He goes on these missions that you would think are absolutely crazy. There's one in particular. He runs right through a town that's occupied by the Germans just to get a message to the other allies on the other side. Bullets ripping the dirt up everywhere around him. So he develops this reputation for being a, bit, a little bit crazy. But he's not crazy. He explains it here to Blythe. Your hope's misplaced. You pulled on the uniform. What Spears is effectively saying is, when you pulled on the uniform to be a paratrooper, you died. You gave up your life and put it in the hands of the United States Army. This is who we are with this uniform on. The reason you hid in the ditch is you're, you've misplaced your hope. Your hope's in the wrong spot. Your hope for your life is in that little hole in the ground. You think that is what's going to save you. No, you, you just don't even understand who you are. And therefore, you can't function as you're designed to function. You're, you're, you're built for a purpose. You've trained for a purpose. You're getting paid for a purpose and there you are in a ditch that's not your purpose you're hiding because you're afraid we're all afraid but Spears is saying I just go and live out my purpose it's an issue of misplaced hope it's an issue of misplaced and misunderstood identity and the story goes on and eventually Blythe starts to get a bit of a grip on that. There's actually one scene where he's so afraid that he goes blind. So gripped with fear is this guy in another episode that he literally loses his sight. Think of the parallels of that. How many of us can be so gripped by fear of something that may or may not be real, by some perceived threat in our life that we literally lose perspective. We lose sight of even what's going on around us. There's no way we can see clearly when we're in a pit. There's no way when we're hiding can we ever see clearly what's going on around us. 
I want to talk a little bit about, um, this is Galatians chapter 2. Now in Galatians, Paul is writing uh, to the people, to the, to the Jewish people, the church in Galatia. And his whole, his whole premise behind this is to, is to deal with the fact that some are trusting in the Jewish law. And it's a mistake. And in fact, Paul, Paul talks about, he said this, I'll just read this quick in Galatians 2 verse 11. Now Peter, Peter is, you know, one of the top three, one of the, he's, Peter is the man who Jesus said, I'm going to build the whole story is going to be built starting with you. You're, you're the leader. So when Peter comes to Antioch in verse 11, Paul stands him up and has an argument with him. Paul embarrasses Peter in front of the people. And he says, why? He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, that's is from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back, separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those belonging to the circumcision group. In other words, he was afraid of those who were still holding to the law the law of the Israelite law, God's law to the people. He was afraid of the reputation that he might get among, with these people if they see him just interacting with um, people who weren't Jews. The other Jews, the other people, even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Verse 17, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Paul says, if I rebuild, rebuild what I destroyed, he's talking about what Peter was trying to do, trying to put his hope in both camps, believe in the truth of the gospel, but also adhering to the, to the Jewish law. That's what Peter was doing. And Paul's going, he's embarrassing him in front of the church, of which Peter is one of the founding fathers. Paul calls him out. He says, you destroyed it, now you're trying to rebuild it. You're making a fool of yourself, he actually said. He's effectively saying. And Paul says in verse 20, listen to this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse there is so powerful. There's a Paul's perspective of what he's writing to the church. These are people who, some of them probably saw the argument. And Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Christ is on the cross. That's where I died too. We died at the cross, Paul is saying. What's Peter doing? Trying to be all religious. The law, that's not the purpose of the law. It's impossible. The religion that you're mucking around with, the religious people that you're afraid of and that you want to maintain a reputation to, it's misplaced hope, is what Paul is saying. He's saying the truth of the gospel is that where Christ was crucified, I was crucified. 
Paul is saying that the life that I live now in the body, that's, that's, to, that's to provide a place for Jesus to live. Effectively. What's Peter afraid? Starts to climb into a ditch with all the others. Paul's like, that's not who we are. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a little bit of an echo in this, in, in what Paul's saying here, with the story about Jesus. You know that woman who was apparently caught in the act of adultery and brought before Jesus? This is a question of the law. Because the reason the, these leaders brought this woman to Jesus was so that he would condemn her. They wanted to get him to condemn her because the law, the religious law, by right, condemned such a person to death. And when they came, Jesus' response, you know the story, uh, Jesus' response is, if none of you have ever broken the law, whoever has never sinned, you be the first to cast a stone. In other words, that was the way the law said that she needed to be killed was by stoning. And, Paul, and Jesus said, all right, whoever of you has not broken the law, you go ahead. And they walked away. He just walked away. Because every single one of them had at some point busted the law. The law of God is perfection. There's no, there's no middle ground. David says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. Whoever hasn't broken the law, you go ahead, Jesus says. No one. That's what Paul is saying here. Why are you messing around with religion why are you messing around trying to look and behave a certain way as though that's somehow going to make you right with God? It can't. The only way that we can be right with God, Paul is saying, is by recognising that I'm crucified with Christ. As soon as I took on that blood, that's where I died. It's like putting on a uniform. As soon as we put on the uniform, we signed away any right to we, that, we had, that we think we had to our life, is what Paul is saying. And that's what Jesus says. If you want to play around with the law, then perfection, please. No, off you go. There's a new way. There's a new way. And we see that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church here. Specifically, the context is about sexual immorality and the way they're using their bodies. They're enjoying the freedom of being in God and therefore there was this idea that, well, we're right with God now so we can do whatever we want. And Paul's addressing some of that because Corinth was an immoral place. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Listen to this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So honour God with your body. You are not your own. Private Blythe, sitting in the ditch, with a, been flown there by the US Army, 
wearing the uniform of a US Army, being paid pretty good money back then by the US Army, does not belong to him. That's what Spears was saying. Let go of this dream of a little house on the prairie when you get back from Europe. Let the dream go. Your hope is in the wrong spot. You're wearing a uniform. Your purpose is to live and function according to your training. You're being paid for a purpose. Go and do your purpose. We're all afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not getting, you weren't trained so that you wouldn't be afraid anymore. The whole place is literally going to hell. It's bombs going off. There's bullets flying around. This is our world. And you're wearing the uniform of someone who mixes it up in that place. And as soon as you let go of that little dream of retirement, as soon as you let go of the dream of having a wife and kids in that little house on the prairie, then you'll be able to function as you're in a way that you're designed to function. Let go of your hope is misplaced. Walk freely in the identity of who you truly are. This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, I am not my own. We've been bought at a price. We belong to someone else. Pretty big stuff. Very heavy stuff. And yet at the same time, not heavy at all. It's actually just perfectly natural. It's just being able to see with clear understanding. I'm at the moment getting ready to sell my house. Selling the house. Time to sell it. Hoping to get a good price. Now, someone's going to come along at some point and they're going to say, I want to buy your house. We'll work out an amount of money. I'll agree, they'll agree, they'll pay me the money and I'm going to hold on to the house. How's this for a plan? I'm going to keep the house. How do I do that? I'm just going to not let them have it. Is that all right? What? There's laws. Why can't I do that? Why can't I keep the house when someone's given me all the money? So what? So what? What a profit. I keep the money and I keep the house. Can I do that? Far be it from me to do that. They bought it with their money. The house belongs to them. Who of us have been bought with so much more than just a few little pixels on a screen? We've been bought with the precious blood of God himself. Far be it from any of us to hold on to the house. It doesn't belong to us anymore. Am I right? Now, who in this world is going to allow me to get by, get along with holding onto the house? Isn't God amazing that in his mercy, he pays 
with his own life for the right of every human being. And in his mercy, he allows people to keep their house. Doesn't belong to them. We are not our own. We've been paid for. He's got the receipt. The receipt is on his hands. The receipt's around his head. Right about here where the spear went in. That's his receipt for payment for your life and for mine. That's what Paul's getting at. So that when we can respect the blood of Jesus, that's all we're doing is when we lay down our life, and and you, you think about it, it's all through Jesus' language. If anyone wants to come after me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Better that, better that someone, you know, forfeit their soul, what is it, than gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. Better that, better that someone give up their life and receive his life than give up their soul and receive the world. The whole story here and what Spears was talking to Blythe, what Paul is talking to us and the people in Galatia and Corinth is simple. It's about understand your point of death. There's a famous story about John Wimber who founded the Vineyard Movement when he died of cancer. Ironic, you would think. Someone who had healed, healed hundreds, probably thousands of people, died of cancer. He'd healed people of cancer. Although it wasn't him, it was God's power through him. Jesus is on the cross and what did they say to him? You've healed all these people, heal yourself. And someone said to Wimber something like, are you worried? Do you find that weird? The fact that you're sick with cancer and you're probably going to die? His response, I love it. It was, they just don't even get it. They've misunderstood hope. They've misunderstood life. They've misunderstood death because the reality is, is that I died thousands of years ago. My life is forfeit. It belongs to another. Whatever day I'm given in this, to walk around in this body is a gift from God. It's an act of mercy in and of itself. Far be it from me to hold on to anything that I think belongs to me, whether it be reputation, property, people, relationships, jobs, status. Who does that actually belong to? That it seems to me, is the antidote to fear. The antidote to fear in the world that we're living in is just simply an issue of of our mindset. It's actually just a recognition of who we actually belong to, whose we actually are. And if you watch that series, you'll see Spears just putting his life on the line, life on the line. And every time that he put his life on the line, he brought victory to battle. He brought freedom and success to his people to the people that he was leading. He inspired the soldiers that were under his command. This was a guy who was getting paid more. He had a lot more to lose, you would think. Officers then would just send the people out, go get them, go get them. But not this guy. He led. Why? Because he's dead already. Might as well make it 
make it a dra- dramatic. Would you like to stand and we'll pray? We'll call it quits there. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life that we live. Thank you for giving us life. We are so blessed in so many ways to be living in Australia, even more to be living in Queensland, and yet still we quake with fear at the mere report of trouble. God, help us. And that is our prayer, Lord, that you would continue to help us. Help us in our understanding. Help us to grasp in our hearts and our minds the power of your blood, Jesus. And as we go now, I bless you in Jesus' name for a revelation with eyes to see what the Lord has done for you. With ears and a heart to perceive who you are in him. May you go in peace, experiencing the true freedom that comes with death. Experience the true liberty and joy that comes with his life. And may he bless you this week, this month, and what's left of this year with more and more revelation of how great the love of the Father is for us, his children. In Jesus' name. Amen.